We've been listening to stories about black women whose murders are largely ignored by society, and in many cases, by those that are supposed to protect them. Jasmine, you found something similar happening in Mexico. I did. In Mexico, an indigenous woman is three times more likely to die during childbirth or postpartum than a non-indigenous woman. Both culture and government policies play a role in the violation of their rights, which often leads to death. So reporter Karen Tenorio and I went to the Yucatan to find out more. In the center of the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico, the sun is rising for what will be another humid 90-degree day in Xanla. Xanla is a rural Maya pueblo in the municipality of Chancom. Here is where you'll find Ney Amparo Sime Arceo's home. We have this I'm going to remove the corn kernels from the cob. They've been picked at. That's why I'm choosing the good ones. Ney sits on a hammock in her kitchen and scrapes kernels from a corn cob. The kitchen is a traditional Mayan house, an oblong structure with a stone foundation, reeds, and a thatched roof. As Ney removes the kernels to ground into dough, she sits on a hammock exactly where she gave birth to most of her children. When I had my first daughter, she was born in my mother-in-law's house. I lived in my mother-in-law's house for three years. Later, I got this house, and I had the rest of my children here, minus the youngest daughter. Ney had five children in her home with the help of her partera, a midwife. Traditional Mayan midwifery dates back several centuries, but that tradition is being challenged. In the past, it wasn't like it is today. We'd feel the pain and the midwife would examine you and tell you if it was almost time. When we would give birth here, my sister-in-law, my mother-in-law, my mother and the midwife would come together to welcome the child. In the hospitals, it's very difficult. Over there, you're just laying in the bed. The doctors are gone attending others. Here you have your mom, your family. Pregnant women that receive economic support from government programs such as Prospera are required to seek attention in government health clinics. Many midwives aren't recognized or respected by medical staff in hospitals and are forbidden from assisting women unless they're trained and certified. But that isn't easy. Five of my children were with a midwife, just the last girl I had in the hospital. My midwife helped at the start, but the doctor said that I was at high risk because of my age. I was 43 when I was going to give birth to the girl. When the midwife was gathering her things for the birth, the doctor asked, Who are you attending? Mrs. Nay, she said. They said no. She told me, Look, the doctors say that I can't see you, that if I care for you, I'll be responsible for what might happen. Nay had to give birth without the assistance of her midwife. But first she had to be examined at her local health clinic. Then she had to drive to the hospital she was assigned to. Once there, the pain was so extreme that she couldn't walk. There was no time to spare. I made it to Kawa to get checked and they said I was about to give birth. And there, my daughter was born. She was born normal, six normal births. I didn't have complications, I didn't have anything. Many rural indigenous women receiving Prospera support are assigned to deliver their children in hospitals that are often over an hour away. 
For example, in the community of Chanchichimila, they don't have access to a clinic in the community. It doesn't exist. They only have a center with a health worker. So when a woman is about to give birth, the child doesn't say, here I come. No, it's a moment where it will just come. So there isn't adequate attention where they have control. They have to go from Chanchichimila to Chikinzonot, where they perform an examination. From there, they are sent to Valladolid. So there's the issue of the mother's life being at risk, the child. That's Mijna Araceli. She's Ney's daughter-in-law, and she established the project Safe Maternity for the Indigenous Population in East Yucatan. After witnessing numerous cases of medical negligence of pregnant women in their community, this negligence and mistreatment of women is known as obstetric violence. It includes being verbally abused, forcibly examined, and coerced into surgery and permanent birth control. There's a lot of obstetric violence, and often women from indigenous communities don't recognize it. One can tell them anything and it will be accepted as normal. When in reality, you're violating her rights, and then in other circumstances, there's maternal mortality. Because of this, Mirna holds workshops with women and youth so that they can take control of their sexual and reproductive rights. Waseguro Popular, Mexico's universal health care system, and Prospera are supposed to be a safety net for the poor, there aren't enough doctors, beds, or hospitals to provide adequate care. On occasion, there have been deaths in the community and in other communities. Because there isn't rapid transportation to get them out, in the centers, they have equipment, but not to give birth. And though it's more costly for the government to perform a cesarean than a vaginal birth, hospitals have to perform births quickly, and the option is often a cesarean, tripling the risk of death or illness for the mother and increasing the risk of the infant having respiratory problems. The Yucatan is among the five states in Mexico with the most C-sections. Ney's daughter also had to have a C-section that she believes could have been prevented. I have a daughter that is mother to this boy. When I took her to the hospital, it was a Thursday evening. She had started having contractions. The doctor examined her and said she needed to dilate further so she should go home. No, I'm not leaving, she said. She stayed, and on Saturday, at about 7 in the morning, the doctor called me and said, Ma'am, your daughter needs a cesarean. The baby is about to die. Its fluids have dried out. So I said, Doctor, if I admitted my daughter on Thursday evening, why hasn't anything been done for her? He just said, We needed ultrasounds. I said, Doctor, my daughter arrived with all of her paperwork, including the ultrasounds. He said, You know what, ma'am? Please excuse me, because I'm just getting in. I don't know what happened with the other doctors. I said, fine, I'll sign the paperwork, but you need to act fast. Three days after she gave birth, they released her from the hospital, and we went home to rest. I took her, but the same night that she was released from the hospital, she got a fever. She was burning up. I told my son-in-law, my daughter isn't doing well. We need to take her back to the hospital. She shouldn't have a fever unless they treated her improperly. They said they had to clean her again, that they may have left some of the placenta behind. The next day she was released again, and that's this little boy that's grown now. Yes, that's Emiliano. Later in Nei's kitchen, the family gathers just before dinner. Mother-in-law, do I give this to the chickens? Yes, give that to the chickens. Mirna chops radishes and other vegetables for the meal. She and her husband, José Antonio, live separately with their daughter, 
But Nei's kitchen is a central gathering place for the family. Jose Antonio tends to their daughter on the hammock. Jose Antonio says that Mirna's work has inspired change in the family. While Mirna was once expected to focus her attention solely on the care of her home and child, she now works outside of the home and has his support in that of the family. Like on many other occasions, Jose Antonio holds off on his work in the family's maize field to drive Mirna to a workshop. He's a trained school teacher and says he sees the importance and change that her work is creating among women in the community, but especially among its youth. In a classroom in Chancón, a group of teens gather in a circle with Mirna. They have worked together to understand and identify gender issues and myths around sexuality, in a space where they feel safe enough to speak openly about them. They share what they feel are advantages and disadvantages of being men or women okay. in their community. So you're telling me that a disadvantage is that men have a power over women. Why do you say that? Because, like we have mentioned it, there is violence in some families. Women are seen as weaker in a relationship. Okay, Diego is saying something very interesting. He's saying that one disadvantage is that women suffer violence. And we were talking about violence. Mirna continues going around the circle of teens, each student identifying issues that they weren't able to articulate or connect to their own experiences until now. She hopes that with this and future generations, the communities of Chancom, Shenla, and Chiquinzonot will come to recognize the human rights of indigenous women. For Making Contact, I'm Jasmine Lopez. That report was produced in collaboration with reporter Karen Tenorio. <laughs>